on the dark side. I want us to practice what God has given us authority to do. That is, he said, whatsoever you shall bind in earth shall be, or bind in heaven shall be bound on earth. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What the passage is meaning is that God gives us authority in the physical realm to exercise authority in the spirit realm. And uh, while I was praying here and we were praying together, I just felt in my spirit like attacking back against the enemy in one specific particular area. I want to bind up whatever spirit it is that is afflicting children with disorders and diseases. Childhood disorders, childhood uh, issues, autism and stuff like that. The frequency is going through the roof. But I, I believe we have power in the name of Jesus. And I want us to pray together. While there's rituals and seances and so forth going on, God's given us power to bind up and to loose. And I'm going to ask Brother Marvin to pray. I want you to join together with him because I want us to bind up the spirit that's loosed wherever, whoever, or whenever that's afflicting children, affecting children with these diseases. Let's pray for, pray for deliverance. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, you're so good, Lord. You're so wonderful, Lord Jesus. There's no one like you, Lord Jesus. God, you said you heal all our diseases, God. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it may be, Lord Jesus. It doesn't matter what the doctors say. It doesn't matter, Lord Jesus, our family history, Lord Jesus. My God, you are the great healer. Lord Jesus, your blood, Lord Jesus, still have power. There's still power in your blood to heal. There's still power in your blood to set free. There's still power in your blood, Lord Jesus, to deliver. And Lord, oh God, we take our family history to you, Lord Jesus. Every genetic disorder, God, we take it before you. And God, we lay it at your feet. Lord God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can come before you boldly. We can come, Lord Jesus, with confidence. And Lord God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that every child, Lord, Lord Jesus, that is born in the kingdom. Lord God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that the blood will cover them. Lord Jesus, I pray for mothers, oh God, that have children. Oh God, that may be suffering, oh God, autism and any other kind of disease. We come against it in the name of Jesus. And we pray, oh God, that the blood will be applied to their life. That the blood will apply to their spirit. That the blood of Jesus will apply to their mind. That the blood, Lord Jesus, will run through their vein. That the blood, Lord Jesus, will flow through their every vein of their body. Oh God, in the name of Jesus. And today, Lord God, we take authority over everything that's been done in this house. Everything that exalted itself against God. Everything that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. We come against it. Sickness in bodies. Sickness in spirit. Sickness in mind. We come against it. And we pray that the will of God be done today. In Jesus' name, clap your hands unto the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's clap our hands and rejoice in faith that God hears and answers prayer. Hallelujah. God, you're a mighty God. Jesus, you're able. Nothing is impossible with you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 You're my healer, Lord. You're my healer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, glory. Hallelujah. 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 H
Hallelujah. How about another reminder? How about another reminder? The Bible says there is power in the blood. We used to sing it that there's wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Do you remember, amen, that there's power in the blood to set people free from sin, to deliver people from sickness? There's power in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I feel His presence here. I feel the presence of the Lord. We've come to worship Him. Amen. We've come to praise Him and He's here. Hallelujah. I'm going to uh, invite you to be seated just for a few moments. I want to address or mention something in your presence. We do know that today is the 31st of October and uh, it is Halloween. And um, only about once per decade do we have Halloween on a Sunday. And uh, so just real quickly, I've had some people ask me um, concerning this uh, particular holiday, what what the proper approach or uh, response of a Christian should be or could be regarding Halloween. I just want to uh, inform you just briefly about the origins and um, the uh, traditions of Halloween and then just basically give you some general instructions uh, as to some guidelines for uh, celebrating or not celebrating this holiday. Um, many people are curious perhaps about where the word Halloween comes from and uh, where this holiday that we celebrate that is often uh, associated with evil. Uh, the word Halloween actually uh, comes from a, a Catholic Christian uh, holiday that has been celebrated since the 7th or 8th century um, uh, A.D., so that's since the early, since the 700s and 800s, and uh, what it actually means is all, all Hallowed's Eve. Basically where it comes from is the uh, people who were seen as saints, people that were righteous individuals, many of them martyred or gave their life uh, in the interest of the faith were called saints. Anybody heard of the saints before? And uh, they each used to have a separate day where they were remembered or commemorated or uh, celebrated. Usually the day of their death was uh, a day that it was celebrated. Um, But it finally reached a point where there were so many of them that it was uh, complicated to keep track of them. So one day per year they would uh, celebrate all uh, Hallowed's Day, and that was November the 1st, November the 1st, and so Halloween was the day before the day that they celebrated, because um, with these uh, 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 feasts and festivals and holidays, they would begin on the night before, and they would go the 24 hours, so at dusk the night before, uh, until dusk the next day was when this uh, was celebrated, that's why we celebrate Christmas Eve, because it's the day, it's the evening before Christmas, so they would celebrate from evening Christmas Eve to evening uh, of Christmas or New Year's Eve. It's the same thing, and so it was All Hallowed's Eve and uh, or All Hallowed Even, and then it kind of just morphed into Halloween. And so the reason that uh, there is the connotation of uh, of the dark side or evil, if you would, to Halloween goes back to before Christianity, before 
uh, the life of Jesus, an old ancient Celtic tradition or Celtic tradition uh, in the uh, uh, British island um, was a holiday that was celebrated at the turning of the season from summer into fall as you could begin to feel the cold weather come in. And this uh, season was called Sawin. It's spelled like Samhain, but it's spoken Sawin. So this was uh, actually the ancient Celtic New Year. They celebrated New Year, not as we do on January 1st, but when the weather turned at harvest time, when it shifted from summer, to winter, and this was a significant time when the weather started for them. And uh, Samhain was an observance of all the important things that were happening during this time of the change of seasons. And this, uh, the Celtic people who came together uh, many, many years ago, uh, during this significant time of change, they saw it as a turning point. Like a new year flipping over, all things become new. You know, at New Year's, we have the New Year's resolution. At the time of Samhain, it was an, a, a turning point, times when things changed from one state to another. And uh, they believed that this transition point had magical properties of all things changing and becoming new. And uh, it marked the biggest turning point of the year. It was a change in the weather as well as a shift in everybody's everyday life because they, they would bring the cattle in from out on the hills up close to the house and they would then spend time in the home. So it was a time of changing. And what they believed was that this magical time opened up some sort of a connection to the dead. So the souls that had already passed Friends, neighbors, family members who had already died through the ultimate turning point, which is death. It's a turning point. They believe that this turning point in the season somehow magically opened a connection with those that were already dead. And that they even believe that the spirits of those who were dead traveled again among the leaving, living during this time. And so uh, a lot of the activities of the Samhain festival were connected to this belief that during this time of transition, this time of change, there was an opening to those who had already died. And uh, many of those practices evolved into modern-day Halloween traditions. So uh, um, you may be wondering, well, how in the world did this ancient Celtic tradition get connected to this uh, Catholic Christian holiday called Old Hallowed's Eve. What basically happened is that uh, as the, uh, uh, I'll explain it this way, as people were being converted from paganism or Druidism to Christianity, um, all throughout the Catholic tradition it was very, very typical for them to connect a Christian celebration with a pagan festival to help people through the, uh, uh, the transfer into conversion into Christianity. Well, they're used to celebrating at the first of the year, the winter solstice. Well, okay, well, let's take our Christian holiday, which we call Christmas, celebrating the birth of Christ, and let's put it on the solstice so that when they come in, they are used to having parties and giving gifts and so forth at winter solstice. We'll just connect it to a Christian holiday. This is what happened when many of these people were uh, converted into Christianity. Well, All Saints Day, All Saints Day used to be in May. 
But when many of these begin to convert into Christianity and they longed for this celebration, somehow they saw the connection, so they moved All Saints Day to November 1st. And many of those who came in from uh, from uh, the Celtic tr- tradition of uh, celebrating Samhain, connected it with All Hallowed's Eve. And so that's where some of the connections and the background of Halloween and the idea of uh, fascination with the paranoia, paranormal and, and ghosts and spirits and so forth being associated with it is because of this connection with the idea of, uh, of there being an opening to those that had passed on. And even... Uh, in, in Catholic tradition on the 2nd of November, they had something, I believe it was called All Souls Day, where they took a day and they celebrated um, celebrated all people who had already passed on or remembered them. And I believe even in Mexico today, they have, is it La Dia de la Muerte? De la... De, la, de los Muertos. See, you guys know better than I do what's going on here. And so it's, it's an idea of... Uh, uh, of celebrating those who have already passed on. So this is the connection of, uh, of Halloween, paranormal, uh, Halloween, um, uh, uh, those that are already died, spirits, ghosts, and so forth. And uh, so on all of these issues, we just uh, re- refer to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say on this? Do we believe this? Do we believe that? Do we believe in ghosts? Do we believe in spirits, evil spirits, or uh, de- the spirits of the departed moving among people? And uh, we, we just have to lean and lean into and depend on the Word of God and trust and have confidence in the Word of God on these issues. So the question is, there are some Christians who because of this, these uh, pagan traditions and the connection to uh, these uh, um, aberrant beliefs that are uh, inclined toward the paranormal, they believe that it's uh, a Christian's responsibility to completely abstain from anything that has the color or connotation of Halloween. And there are other people that uh, uh, believe that, uh, well, this is just a uh, um, uh, something that's evolved, and if you want to attack the practices because of their pagan traditions and you have to get rid of Christmas and Easter and all of these others, a lot of the traditions and things that we practice during that time. And there is truth uh, to that argument as well because a lot of the things that we practice at Christmas uh, come from a pagan or unchristian tradition and, and roots. So my, my uh, opinion and my recommendation is every man is the man of his house. And in your household, you have to... Uh, feel good with God about what you allow your family to practice. And as a church, we definitely will lean away from anything associated with kind of the dark, evil side, the witches and the goblins and the skeletons and so forth associated with Halloween. Amen. Uh, but uh, each, each parent and each family, I believe the Bible says, the Bible teaches moderation in all things. So, uh, you know, if there's some things that you enjoy and you have fun with, as long as you recognize and separate yourself from the dark and the evil connotation of the Druid influence over traditional Halloween. So, uh, um, so maybe I confused you more than cleared up 
in your mind how you should respond. But uh, uh, each family, if you say, well, I don't believe my kids should trick or treat and go about because of the connotations of Halloween, that's fine. I have respect for that. If you, uh, on the other hand, say, you know, my parents are going to, or my, my kids are going to dress up like princesses or, or dress up like uh, uh, nothing evil, just, you know, like a character or something or a Bible character and go around and collect candy and I have no problem with that, that's fine. That's your choice as a parent. I'm not as a pastor going, see, there's some people that want their pastor to make every decision for them. And the problem with that, the problem with that is they don't want to grow up and learn how to be responsible and learn how to pray and learn how to listen to the spirit of God. All right. So I, I caution you and encourage you to use good judgment. Amen. Did you want to say something? I just want to share something with you and take this from another approach of maybe mothers with children. And um, so often when our kids see um, all of the stuff, the nasty stuff in people's yards and stuff, it's scary to them. And I just want to approach it from this standpoint. In our area, from so many different cultures, we have a lot of superstitious and superstitions surrounding and it causes us as mothers or families to to kind of be scared or afraid, you know, of spirits or if I'm afraid if I do this, I'm inviting spirits into my home. Or I just want to say that if you're a child of God and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you have absolutely nothing to be afraid of. The spirit realm is as real as the natural realm. It is very real. Believe me, the devil is busy, and there's spirits, there's demons. But as children of God, if you have the Holy Ghost inside of you, I'm telling you right now, nothing, no demon, no evil spirit can come near you. Amen? When you plead the blood of Jesus over your children, come on now, you better believe that is powerful. The devil is afraid of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is all over my home, and the devil knows he cannot come near my home. I don't have to walk through there at night wondering if there's a spirit around the corner because the blood of Jesus has covered my family, it's covered my home, and we don't believe anything unless it has passed through the hand of God and God has allowed something to come into our family to try us then only then can something bad come against us. But it's, it's the work of God in our lives. Amen. And I read something the other day from a friend of mine. And we need to teach our children to be afraid, but not afraid of that. We need to teach them to be afraid of debt. We need to teach them to be afraid of bringing, being un, unfaithful spouses and, and having the, um, the things of the world into our home. We need to teach them... Let me just read with you what it says real quick, because I believe this is good stuff. Amen? <laughs> so I, I don't want my children to be afraid. I want them to be afraid, but I don't want them to be afraid of plastic figures depicting death, not of made-up creatures, vampires, or werewolves. Such things are mere figments of overactive imaginations. But there are real things of which I want my children to have healthy doses of fear, and those I point out to them regularly. I want them to be afraid of debt. I hope that they, when they see a credit card or unnecessary debt, it will look, not look like harmless plastic. Amen? I hope they are afraid of ending up lonely and sad if they take their spouse and family for granted or if they live a selfish or abusive life. I hope that they will view pornography and sexual pr- promiscuity as a bony death grip reaching out to crush the joy out of God's blessings. 
for sexuality. I hope that they will be afraid of choosing a spouse by looks and charm alone, neglecting character and spiritual integrity. I hope they will see past the lies of advertising and see the actual horrifying results of alcohol consumption. I hope that they see past the can, the bottle, the fun time to be bought. Uh, it's time. Uh, time to the bodies of parents and children crumpled in cars wrecked by drunk drivers. I hope that they are deathly afraid that their first drink could lead them to become like their great-grandfather who drank his paycheck up while his children had no shoes. I want them to be afraid of the troubles and addictions that come from drug use. Yes, I want them to be afraid not of gruesome-looking Halloween figures that come once a year, but of the real monsters, chains, and messengers of hell that walk the streets every day. For in healthy fear, there is power, power over the trap laid out to snare their feet, power to say no, power to make wise choices. Amen. So as children of God, come on, moms and dads, let's teach our children what to be afraid of. Amen. Amen. If you want to stand together, let's look in the Bible. Ezekiel chapter number 13 and verse 20. We're going to preach quickly. Hopefully with a lot of anointing and passion and power. Amen. And we're excited about uh, what's coming up soon. Next week, Brother Watts will be with us. It's going to be a great time. And also, if you didn't see it, we're going to have a, uh, a special time of um, fellowship after the service. $3 per person for burgers and drinks and so forth. So it'll be a great time. Uh, time of fellowship together. Also, I want to say... Uh, a heartfelt thank you from my wife and I for all the kindness that you have shown to us, uh, particularly the last week with the pastor's appreciation expressions through cards and gifts and dinners and uh, uh, all the kindness that have been shown. I, I really appreciate it, and, and it means so much to us to feel so loved. Amen. None of it was necessary, but all of it was so very nice, and I, I say thank you. Ezekiel chapter 13 Verse number 20 says, Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your pillows, wherewith ye hunt the souls to make them fly. And I will tear them from your arms, and will let the souls go, even the souls that ye hunt to make them fly. Anybody ever heard a sermon preached from this verse before that you can remember? I mean, you read this verse and it's like, what is this talking about? God is against pillows? What does he want me to lay my head on when I go to sleep? It, it, and, and you read it like real quick, it almost sounds like a, a big spiritual pillow fight or a heavenly pillow fight. I'm against your pillow. I'm going to jerk it out of your hands. No pillow fights for you. But uh, let's read from a different translation here and see if we can get a little insight into what this passage of Scripture is saying in verse 20. It says, and notice that this is God speaking to His people, the Hebrew people, His chosen people, a prototype of the New Testament church. It says, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against all your magic charms which you use to ensnare my people like birds. I will tear them from your arms, setting my people free like birds set free from a cage. I will tear off the magic veils and save my people from your grasp. 
they will no longer be your victims. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So this verse of scripture is not really talking about a heavenly pillow fight, but it's talking about God setting his people free. It says as if a bird were being let free from a cage. That's what I want to do for you. And you may ask this question as you read this passage. These are God's people. What would God's people be doing in a cage? What would God's people be doing having been snared by an enemy? What caused them to be put in this cage? How did they end up in this cage of their enemy? And for insight into that, I always try to interpret the Bible with the Bible itself. And if you look simply at the verse before, you can find out a little bit as to how God's people got put in a cage. It says in verse 19, we read 20 and 21. Let's jump back to verse 19. Verse 19 of Ezekiel 13 says, You bring shame on me among my people for a few handfuls of barley or a piece of bread. Notice the next, the, the next sentence. By lying to my people who love to listen to lies by lying to my people who love to listen to your lies. And so this what this passage of scripture, the greater scope of this passage translated to us today is that our enemy is Satan, who is to seeking to kill, steal and to destroy. And he can ensnare us and trap us and put us in a cage by using his lies if we're willing to listen to his lies. The lies of the enemy are what snare us, and the lies or the enemy of the enemy are what trap us, and the lies of the enemy are what put us into a cell or into a cage. And I want to preach just for a few moments before we leave here today on this subject. I'm coming out. Amen. I'm coming out. I'm a person of God. I'm a child of God. No longer should I be caged up because of the lies of the enemy. No longer should I live under my potential because of the lies of the enemy. No longer should I be hindered from being what God has called me to be because I'm listening to the lies of the enemy. I'm coming out. I'm going to be what God has called me to be. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises thereof. I pray today, Lord God, you would allow me to communicate to your people in a short amount of time a word, Lord God, that would give them confidence and hope to be everything you called them to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. In the name that's above all names, we pray. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Because God's people had listened to a lie, it caused them to be caught like a bird in a cage. Now, we know one thing about Satan. We know one thing about the enemy. And that is that the devil is a liar. Amen. 
The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said to uh, the Pharisees, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer in the beginning, and abode not in the truth. For he, he, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. That's why the devil's referred to as the father of lies. Amen? So the question is, how can you tell if the devil is lying? Because his lips are moving. That means everything that comes from the enemy is deception. Everything that comes from the enemy is a lie. And his purpose and his cause is to deceive. How many know the enemy is a deceiver? If you don't believe that, you don't have to read very far in your Bible to understand that that was his character. When you see Adam or, or, or the enemy deceiving Eve in the garden. And so Satan, when he lies... His lies cause us to be caged up, limit us from being what we were supposed to be. When you think about a cage, like a bird cage, what does a bird cage do? It limits the range of that bird, and it also keeps that bird from doing what it was created to do. When you see a lion in a cage or a tiger in a cage, perhaps at a zoo, or uh, at the circus, uh, you understand that this lion is being limited from being and doing what it was created to be and to do. See, as a bird was made to fly, when a bird is in a cage, it cannot fly freely. And lions were designed by their maker to sustain themselves by their ability to run, to leap, to attack, to kill, and to eat. But when a lion is caged, it cannot harm anything and it cannot function as it was designed to function so hopefully you can see today why the enemy would want a christian to be in a cage are you guys still with me here is anybody gonna help me preach today we can get this done quick amen get the message communicated Satan's desire is to stop the church by any means possible. And he has discovered that the best way to keep the church from moving forward is to cause individual members of the body of Christ to be caged up so that their potential is not realized and they cannot function the way their Creator has created them and recreated them through new birth to function as a child of God. You look in the Old Testament, and oftentimes people were in prison to cage up their potential. One of the greatest examples is Samson. When they poked out his eyes, and they put him in a jail cell, grinding out a mill there, because they wanted to limit his potential. When Jeremiah's words offended the king and influenced the people, what did the king do? The king put him in a prison. And then you see this translated to the New Testament church as well. Well, and uh, the environment was such politically and culturally that they were allowed to put their enemies in prison. So John the Baptist was put in prison because Herod didn't like the message that he preached. And we see in the Word of God that men of God were often put into prison to limit their scope of influence, to silence their voice, and to keep them from doing what they felt called to do. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were jailed. And uh, why were they jailed? Because they healed the man at the gate beautiful. 
They worked a miracle through the power of Jesus' name and through faith in the name of Jesus. And because of this, they were put in jail. And the jail keeper said, stop talking about Jesus. Stop preaching and teaching about the name of Jesus. And he threatened them that he would cause harm to them or imprison them again if they kept speaking the name of Jesus. And throughout the New Testament church, it was through the efforts of these men to stop and to silence the movement of the gospel that they put men in jail, right? Peter and other apostles were imprisoned again in Acts 5 because they were working too many miracles. we got to stop these Christians from doing what Christians do. The Bible says the angels delivered them from the prison so they could do what they were called to do. Acts chapter 12, Peter was put in prison again. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in a Roman jail. You see quite often that in order to stop the movement of God's spirit and God's work because the political situation was such that they were allowed to put them in prison, they put them in prison. And even today, in other parts of the country, you see that gospel preachers are put into jail, that people that declare the truth when it's politically possible, they silence them and put them in jail. Paul was in prison more times than he could count. Let me make it clear to you that Satan wants to stop, impede, and limit the forward motion of the church, the truth church that's doing what God called it to be, to do, and is going about the Father's business. Amen. Anybody thankful we live in the United States of America? Amen. I'm thankful that we live in a place where we have freedom of religion, that God's message can't be hemmed in politically or culturally by putting men that preach in prisons. The political climate is such where Satan uh, cannot use men to put us into prison to stop us uh, from moving the message forward. But he still wants to put us in a cage. And because he can't put us into a literal prison cell with bars made of iron, he uses lies to cage us up from being what God intended for us to be. And even though we walk around freely and go to our work and eat dinner at home with our families, we are limited when it comes to being and doing what God has called us to be and do because we've listened to the lies of the enemy and it snared us up and kept us from being what God intended for us to be. It's a strategy of the enemy to cage up Husbands and wives like you, to cage up young people like you and to keep you from doing what you were meant to do. Amen. You know, the sad part is, is some people, first of all, they don't realize what's happening. They don't recognize that these lies of the enemy, we'll talk about some of them, these lies of the enemy that keep them from being what God intended them to be. After a while, they just accept it. After a while, they're just like, this is the way life is. I guess I'm never going to be what I felt God impressed me to be, and I'm never going to be able to do what God impressed me to do. I felt like God said I was going to be a prayer warrior, but I don't have any discipline. And I felt like God said I was going to reach people for the gospel's sake and bring people to the church and have them receive God's Spirit and their life be changed. But for whatever reason, I can't do that. So what happens is they settle, and they just settle in their cage, and they get comfortable in there just being a shell of what they could be. Amen. Anybody ever seen a lion in the zoo before? A lion in a cage? They, they don't really... There's just something about them. You know, they don't look 
like a real lion. I mean, they've got the mane, they've got the fur, they've got the enormous bodies and so forth. But I don't know about you, but every stinking time I go to the zoo, they just lay there sleeping. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Or, or they may get up for a minute and just kind of look at you like this. And now, I was at the zoo recently in uh, Memphis and uh, when we were back east visiting with our family. And I saw it was a glass enclosure. And the lion was like only 10 feet from me. And what a huge animal. Regal. King of the jungle. Uh, and, 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 of course, my mind went back. I think I've told some of you the story about it's, it's been, uh, oh, man, it's been 10 years ago now, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, that I was able to take a safari in Kenya to the Maasai Mar and see these animals in their habitat. And I'll never forget the one day I can remember so well. It was in the evening time when we jumped into a, a, a Range Rover. And uh, we went on the evening safari. They told us the lions go out on their hunts at night. So if you want to see the lions, when it starts to get dusk, they're moving out, creeping out, uh, going out on their hunts. So we're out on this uh, um, Range Rover traveling, bumping through the, uh, the breathtakingly beautiful African countryside in the Maasai Mar. <coughs> and all of a sudden we hear the sounds over, over the loudspeaker. And I actually can remember... Uh, can remember what they said. They said, uh, Mingi Simba. Mingi Simba! And so the guy picked up, Mingi Simba, whatever. He was speaking uh, Swahili. But I remember those words, Mingi Simba. Simba is lion, that's right. Amen. And uh, so what he said, uh, Mingi is many. Mingi Simba, so many lions. And so. Uh, he, he was talking back and forth in, in, uh, in Swahili and got the coordinates. And then he turned sharply and we were going off the road through the grass. And then I looked over and I saw that we were approaching some, like a cluster of, uh, of other Range Rovers that were gathered. And at first I didn't see anything because of the camouflage of the uh, dry grass. And as I got closer, then I could see that we were approaching a pride of lions that was being observed by all these other tourists that were on this fly-in safari. And, and this was not in a game park. This was, there was no cages, no fences, nothing. This is just lions living as lions. And uh, so um, we, we got close, and, and our driver, who maybe was risky or whatever, I don't know, but he pulled right in front of them as they were kind of moving. And, and we were, of course, standing out waist-high on this... Uh, uh, th- through the hole in the roof and just watching these lions. And when he pulled in front, all of a sudden, I locked eyes with one of these young male lions with a full mane. And I froze and he froze like this. Crouched. And I'll never forget, man, locking eyes with a lion. And I'll also never forget the guide saying, Get down! Get down! And I, like, jumped down, back down into my seat. And he said, you, you have to be careful because sometimes the lions will jump up onto, they've been known to jump many times up onto these vehicles. So uh, we got, had apparently gotten right into his path. And uh, so then we watched as, as they passed us and as the, the dusk was falling, as they were going out on a hunt, crouching and creeping as a pride of lion. 
going out looking for a wildebeest, a heart of beast, a zebra, or some unfortunate prey out into the wild adventure of the night. What an exciting, exhilarating way to live as a lion. And then all of a sudden I'm back in Memphis again looking at this lion sitting in the zoo, sitting there. He, he didn't have any fire in his eyes. He looked lazy and indifferent, just kind of there. And let me tell you something. Some of you as Christians, you've lost the fire in your eyes. You knew that God put a call in your life to do something. God's anointed you and gift you, gifted you. But because of certain things that have happened in your life, you have taken on the demeanor of the lion sitting in a cage. And there's no fire in your eyes anymore. And you don't feel like you can do what God called you to do. But when God gave you the Holy Ghost, He gave you the power and the anointing and the unction and the authority to do and be what God has called you to do. But ye shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That's not, a, that's not a verse just for your pastor. And that's not a verse just for a few spiritual gurus that are plugged in somehow uniquely. But that's for every believer. God has anointed you and empowered you to do miracles for the sake of the cross of Jesus Christ. You are a lion. Amen. You are an empowered person of God in your workplace, amongst your friends. When there are needs, hallelujah, there is somebody that... Hey, Amen. And you hear the testimonies. And you see God working through your brothers. And you look through your cage. And you're like, man, that would be awesome. I wish I could be involved in that. But I can't because of this right here. Because the devil, well, we don't know that the devil's lied. But the reality is the devil's lied to you. He told you because of your failures in the past, God can't use you anymore. And when the devil told you that you don't have the right personality for it, or when the devil told you you don't have the courage for it, or when the devil told you that he was going to use somebody else instead of you, that's a lie of the enemy. I want to tell you, anything to keep you from being what God intended you to be is a lie from the devil. And the Bible says, God said, I'm going to tear it away. I'm going to enable you and empower you to be free. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 36, he whom the Son hath set be free, shall be free indeed. Hallelujah. 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 Hey, lion, you weren't made to be in a cage. Lord didn't make you to sit in a cage. God didn't create you to sit there and do nothing and twiddle your thumbs or your claws or whatever you got. Amen. The Lord made you with big teeth so you could bite. He gave you big muscles and long leg and strong paws so you could run. He put, he equipped you to attack and all you do is sit in a cage all day long. Amen. Let me tell you something. God equipped you and empowered you when you were born of the Spirit. The Bible says, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and ye shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, in Judea, unto the uttermost part of the earth. Yeah, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. You know that God spoke to your heart. You know that God appointed and anointed you. And not, the only thing the devil can do is try to lie you up into a cage. Come on, somebody. God wants you to live an adventure. Sister Elizabeth, come here. 
Amen. This is a lady that God uses to do great things in her life. Just You can sit down right there. She lives in adventure. Amen. Her life with God is an adventure. You know, some of you are, are, are kind of bored with your walk with God. Some of us are kind of just like trudging along and wondering, is this all there is? Amen. You know what the problem is? You weren't designed to live in a cage. The enemy's got you snared up and trapped up. That wasn't where you were intended to be. God intended to use you to do some great things. Amen. And this is, some of you have heard the story of Sister Elizabeth before. Sister, I, I, I don't really know uh, all the story or where it happened or where she originally came from, but she literally is connected with people all over the United States, all over the world that she has Bible studies with, that she does healing ministry with, and God uses her and has anointed her. Hey, you know what? you got the same kind of power with God that she has. She just got out of her cage. Amen? You have the same potential that she has. She just decided, I'm not going to listen to the lies of the devil that say, i got to be from this family, or i got to be a male, or i got to live in this part of the country, or i got to have this job, or i got to have this much money. If God be for us, who can be against us? I'm telling you, it's time for you to come out. It's time for you to be what God is calling you to be. Hallelujah. Let me, let me tell you where it starts. Let me, let me tell you where it starts. You were created to be a worshiper of God. Just like a bird was made to fly, a lion was made to attack, you were created to worship the Lord. Yeah. That's why God gave you your mouth and your voice. He didn't give you your mouth and voice just so you could yell good at your siblings or scream at your kids. Come on now. And God didn't give you your voice just so you could go on American Idol. But God gave you your voice so you could use it to, to shout praises to His name. We're going to go fundamental right now. Why were you created? Why did God put you here? You're only going to live for 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years if you're lucky, and then you're gone. In the grand scheme of things, what does it matter how much money you make or how many babies you produce or, or how high up you climb the corporate ladder? But what you can do for these 75, 85, 95 years is use your voice to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ and recognize that this organ was made to praise the Lord. My hands were designed to clap and praise. These feet were designed to worship the Lord. My creation shall praise me. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he that come in the name of the Lord. They said, Jesus, make them stop. Make them be quiet. Hosanna. Blessed is he that come. Make them be quiet, Jesus. 
Jesus said, I'm not going to stop them because if these hold their peace, the very rocks will cry out in praise to me. Let me tell you, creation was designed to bring glory to God. And you are the greatest mouthpiece of expressing God's glory. That's why you're never more like you were intended to be than when you're worshiping and praising the King of kings and Lord of lords. Come on, somebody praise him right now. Praise the King of kings. Creation declares the praise of God. Hallelujah. God gave you your voice to shout and your hands to clap. You're never more what you were designed to do and be than when you are praising the Lord. Whatever it is that's keeping you from being what you were designed to be is your cage. Yeah, whether it's fear, whether it's peer pressure, whether it's feelings of inferiority, or as we spoke earlier, the accuser of the brethren has convinced you that you have no right to praise the Lord because of the mistakes that you've made in your life. Whatever is keeping you from being a worshiper is your cage. And I'm telling you today, come on out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because it's a tragedy. It's sad when something doesn't function as it was created to function. There's nothing like a bird that can't fly. A bird who all his fellows can fly, but he can't fly. Nothing like a lion that can't do what it was designed to do. And to me, there's nothing more sad, disgusting, and wasteful than a healthy person that won't praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What is it that keeps you from being a praiser? Is it pride? Is that what your cage is made out? You have a cage of pride that you can't... You're too proud to praise the Lord. Too proud to praise the Lord. Amen? That's the way when you look at the difference between King Saul and King David, David was a worshiper. And even though people exalted him because of his exploits, he continued to say, I'm not worthy. He's the one that's worthy. And he did it by praise. And the problem is some of us come to the house of the Lord and we have an attitude which almost says, hey, why don't you guys praise me for a little while? I'm pretty cool and I got all these things going for me and I've been a good guy and I'm better than my neighbor and all this stuff. But when you come into the house of the Lord and you recognize that I'm not worthy of praise. All I can do is turn it back to God. All I can do is worship Him. And it... Amen. It doesn't matter what background you come from. It, it doesn't matter what your career or education is. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. You were created to praise the Lord. I tell you what, you get in the middle of a church where people recognize that they were designed to be a worshiper. You're in the midst of a place where God's going to be in force. The Bible says He enthrones the praises of His people. And when His people get out of their cage and begin to praise the Lord with all their heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Good things happen when you praise the Lord. I said good things happen when you do what you were designed to do. I said good things happen when you praise the Lord. 
Yeah. Some of you have been struggling with prevailing depression. Prevailing. Prevailing. Prevailing depression. And when it comes time to praise the Lord, your depression comes your cage. I can't praise the Lord. I'm too depressed. I can't praise the Lord. I'm too overwhelmed with despair. I can't praise the Lord. I'm going through such a tough time right now. I can't praise the Lord. Let me tell you, you were designed to praise the Lord. And it's time for you to come out and do and be what God has called you to do and be. It comes natural to you. It looks good on you. That's why... When other people really start to praise the Lord, you may be a cynic, you may be all tied up and tangled up and, and uh, uh, resistant to praise, but you look through the bars of your cage and you're like, wow, check him out. He looks like he's having a good time. Look at those tears. I've never seen that before. Somebody's crying, but they got a huge smile on their face. Where is that coming from? Man, that looks like fun. I'd love to do, but I can't do that because of I can't do that because what are people going to think of me? And I can't do that because you know the mess I made, and everybody knows the mess I made and the mistakes that I made. I can't praise the Lord like that because of what's happened. Let me, let me just give you a little tip here. We don't praise the Lord because of our performance. We praise Him because of His performance. I look through my Bible, and it never says, Let everyone that had a perfect week... Praise the Lord. It never says, let every person who has a clean track record praise the Lord. Let every person who has perfect marks praise the Lord. What is your Bible? My Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. It says it this way. It says it this way. My brothers, it says, praise Him according to His excellent greatness doesn't say praise him according to how good you've done praise him according to how good he has done and when you consider what a great god he is all you have to do is open up one of those windows right there and look out at the mountainscape that god created by the power of his word and you say wow that's awesome when you look at his fingerprints all over your life when you look at his provision i'm going to praise him according to his excellent greatness so that means i may have fumbled the ball this week but god didn't fumble the ball so i'm going to praise him because i was created to be a worshiper and a praiser. Praise Him right now. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand and praise the Lord right now? He's worthy of our praise. Come on, somebody. Praise Him. Hallelujah, 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 amen. And I just want to share with you that the only way you're really going to be what God intended for you to be, the only way you're going to be able to accomplish and function the way God, the, the way God intended for you to function, make sure you get this point, most important point of the day. It can only happen within the context of the kingdom of God. 
it's not going to happen based on how successful you are in your career. Although I believe in doing our very best, right? As witnesses of God. But it's not going to happen in the context of my career. I'm not going to step out of my cage and function the way God intended for me to function by being more successful in the office. And I'm not going to understand God's purpose and calling for my life. I'm not going to be what God called. I'm not going to be what I was created to be. It's not going to happen in the context of the football team or the basketball team. And it's not going to happen in all these arenas of life where people pour themselves into seeking excellence and seeking recognition. But the only place where you can really spread your wings and the only place where, place where you can really bar your teeth is in the kingdom of God and letting yourself function as God has created you to function. Hallelujah. And I don't know what your cage is made out of. Well, if you're caged in because of low expectations that other people have said, that person can never do anything, that's a lie from the devil. But that lie has turned into your cage. I can't be used of God because of what happened in my past. That is a lie. But that lie is significant because that lie has become your cage. Come on, somebody. I can't be used of God because if I pour myself into the kingdom of God, it's going to hurt my career. That is a lie. But because you believe that lie, that lie has become your cave. You may be a success at work, but when it comes to flying and when it comes to the adventure that God has laid out before. See, let me explain something to you. God didn't save you and die on the cross just so you could be safe. But God died on the cross so you could be dangerous. Come on, you like that? Come on, that's the truth. God didn't die on the cross so you could make it to heaven by the skin of your teeth. God died on the cross, so when you come into heaven, you've got a parade following you of people whose lives you have impacted. Come on, somebody, stretch your wings a little bit. Who told you you had to live in that cage the rest of your life? Who told you you have those limitations the rest of your life? Come on, God called you to do something. God gave you your personality so you could use it. God gave you that anointing on your life and that drive and that desire. When did you get so comfortable in that cage? I know you're still alive, but you're in a cage. How long are you going to stay in there? Is there anybody that can say, I'm coming out. I'm going to be what God's called me to be. I'm tired of letting the enemy intimidate me into believing that God cannot and will not do this for me. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. Brother Moore, come up here real quick. Brother Rick, come here real quick. I want you to stand on this side right here. I'll give you guys instructions. I'm not going to make you do anything crazy. Come on over here, Brother Rick. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many are ready to come out of your cage and be what God's called you to be? Come on. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to be what God's called me to be. I want His anointing to function in my life. I want His power. Come on. That's it. That's it. Just reach out for Him right now for just a minute. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Sister Jackie, I want you to come up here to this side. Sister Elizabeth, come up here to this side for me right now. Just for a minute. Right up here. Right up here. We're going to pray for some people. Hallelujah. This is what I feel today. Hey, this is a... They call it the devil's holiday. Let's make him mad on his holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to dress up like Dracula and celebrate with you. But we're going to praise and worship the Lord together. And we're going to loose people and release people into their anointing, into their anointing. I'm just going to do this as an exercise right now. Because some of you have been struggling as your, as your walk with God, your relationship with God has been unfulfilling, kind of been feeling mundane, and you're just kind of like, hey, is this all there is? is it, I mean, is this all there is? And part of it's because you are not functioning the way God intended for you to function. Because there's nothing more exciting. It, and maybe I can get a witness in here, because some of you are taking the class uh, that's uh, going on the way of the Master. Um, learning how to bring people to Christ Jesus and see them give their... There is absolutely in this world nothing more exciting than seeing someone's life changed by the power of the gospel. And God is going to use some of you in the coming weeks and months to see that happen. Hey, you know what? That is more thrilling and exciting on a deep level than winning the lottery. Yeah? On a meaningful level, because why? Because you win the lottery, let's say you get, let's say you get $200,000. Guess what? Ten years from now, the average American will have nothing to show for it. But you let the gospel change someone's life. And a million years from now, there's going to be someone in eternity forever because God used you. Come on, I'm talking about the real deal here. Ha! Come on, God's ready to equip somebody, anoint somebody, and release somebody to do something for the kingdom of God. Here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, I'm going to give the word, and I want you to, if you're, a, if you're a man, a young man, a teenager, a child, and you want to be everything God wants you to be, not necessarily everything this world wants you to be, but you want to be everything God wants you to be, I want you just to make your way up this aisle. And these men are going to lay hands on you, and I'm going to pray for 20 minutes for each person or 10 minutes, maybe even just less than a minute. But I want you to believe. I want you to believe that when they lay hands on you, not because they're superpowered or because, but as an act of faith and as a point of contact, there's going to be a releasing, a releasing into your potential, a releasing to be what God's called you to be, that you're coming out of that, uh, that satanic imposed cage by the lies of the enemy to keep you from being what, what God intended for you to be. And I want you to believe that you're going to step into your potential and you're going to be what God's called you to be. So ladies, ladies of God, I want you to come down this aisle. Men of God, I want you to come down this aisle. And I want you to just have
have this mindset and attitude that says I'm coming out. I want to be what God called me to be. I want to do what God called me to do. And when these ladies lay hand on hands on you, I just want you to begin to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord like you believe God created you to praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise Him the way you want to praise Him. Praise Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Come on, that's it in Jesus' name. Lift up your voice and sing for joy.
Storm in the gates, storm in the gates, storm in the gates of hope. 